remember the Aesop's fables or uh, a cautionary tale of the boy who cried wolf? Boy who cried wolf? The boy who cried wolf. It's a story about a boy who cries wolf too many times when there's no wolf. And then when he does cry wolf, when there's a real wolf, nobody believes him. That's a a cautionary tale, a a tale, a story that has a moral to it. Something that teaches us uh, to be careful when we sound the alarm. Because when we do that falsely, people will grow callous to what we're saying. And I started thinking about that in the context of what we're preaching today. Started thinking about calluses. Guitar players know about calluses, right? You build up calluses the more you play. And if you ever go without playing for a long time and someone asks you to play, you're like, oh, that's going to hurt because you're going to play without, cal- without your calluses. You depend on your calluses. They need to be thick. They need to be numb. When I was in the army, we used to road march a lot. And we would wear our boots and you would dread getting new boots, right? Because you've, you've, you've worn in your old boots. We would baby our old boots. We would rub our old boots with oil. I'd replace the sole on my old boots and then we'd wear in our old boots, but boy, you dreaded get a new boots because you got new blisters because they weren't rubbing you in the same way your old boots did, so you got new calluses. <laughs> and calluses are the result of blisters. So uh, we, grow, we can grow callous. Paul uses that metaphor, that idea of callousness to talk about our spiritual life. Pretty interesting. So we're going to get into what he has to say about that today as we continue in our Ephesians series about why church. Let me catch you up as to where we are. Uh, Paul takes the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians and he writes this letter. It's so beautifully crafted, so, so just brilliant. And the deeper I go, the more intentional I realize every word is. Uh, he takes the first three chapters to remind us as to why, why we are who we are. And he, from like four different angles, he explains the gospel. And he says that we are, uh, we were bought with a price, that we were an old creation. And then Jesus came and renewed everything for us. And now we are something new and something different. And then in chapter four, he says, now that you realize you are something different, the first thing that after that in chapter four, the first thing that he emphasizes is you are together. You and everyone else who is now something different, transformed by the love of Jesus, you are something new. You're no longer who you were. You are something new and you're together. And when you're together, you're going to need to remember a few things. Bear with each other. Because even though you were created into something new, none of you have arrived yet. You're all in process. So bear with one another. Be patient, be gracious, be understanding. And as you are growing in this new way to be a human, this new way to exist, you're going to need some guidance. And so Jesus gave the church a whole bunch of gifts. He gave each one of us a gift to use to build up the church. Some of those gifts are preachers and pastors and shepherds and teachers. Those gifts exist to equip the saints, which is you and me, to do the works that God has created for us to do because we were created or we were established as a new creation in Christ. Now we are together, but we're not just together to be together. We're together for a purpose and we're to share the love of Jesus with the world around us. How do we do that? Back up in the manner in which he has gifted you. So each one of us is different. So we're going to have to bear with one another because the way you want to express that is different than the way I do. 
Your take on this text may be different than mine. Your trauma is different than mine. Your insecurities are different than mine. Your background is different than mine. Your skill set is different than mine. We all come together. So the primary things it says is to bear with one another. Because I tell you, people close to me know, like my shortcomings is a weight to bear, right? Yours are too. Welcome. This is church. It's beautiful and messy. So then after he says that you have each other, you belong, he uses the metaphor of a body, saying you are a body, as if like the, your body has one unified thing that it does, but there's moving parts all the time doing things, right? I want to come and preach, but there's a million things happening while I'm doing this. So my body is working together. So he, he really emphasizes that and he uses that throughout a lot of his writings is the metaphor of a body to describe God's people. So we are transformed by the love of Jesus to live together because we're together because we have a purpose. We need to be together. Not one of us is sufficient, but us together is. And we have a purpose, and that is to share the love of Jesus that has transformed us with the people around us. Collectively, individually, that is our purpose. Now, Paul then goes into this next section of chapter 4 and through chapter 5, where he contrasts the old you and how the old you would navigate living together, right? Or being among each other. This is how the old you would navigate being among each other. But this is how the new you, we'll call it the false you and the true you. The false you, the old you, would operate in a certain way because the old you had a certain belief, a certain mindset. And it was typically that you are the center of the world. That's the, the old you. And that uh, dismissing other people, dominating other people, uh, using other people is the way to get what you want. That's the old you. That's the, that's the deceitful schemes. That's the, that's the way the world teaches. But you, but we are different. We're living in a new way. We're living in a new way, in a world that is still operating in the old way. So then he, he draws these contrasts of what those, the way we lived before our minds were renewed, or before we had Jesus Christ, and after. So we're going to get into that. That's where the text is leading us here, chapter 4, verse 18. So if you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some at the back table there. Um, I'm going to ask you to make sure you're following along, because we're going to be going uh, back and forth in the text a little bit in chapter 4. Um, but Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18 is where, where we're going to start. So re- rem- remember, Paul is saying, you were transformed by Jesus, so you be who you are. Don't be how you used to be. You used to be a certain way, and your mindset was different, so you used to do different things. Your mindset is different now, now be who you are. So let's pick up at verse 18. He starts with the word they. He's talking about those who aren't being transformed. So that's you, your false self before. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Now, what he's not saying here, he's not saying that people that aren't Christians are stupid. He's not saying that people that aren't aren't Christians aren't kind aren't good, aren't selfless. What he's saying is those who have not been awakened and sensitized to this new way of life 
are desensitized to it. Their senses have not been reawakened. So there's a, there's a, a way of living in the world. And, and I can testify in my life, there's a way of me living. I was a good person, a good father, a good husband, a good provider. And I was putting my career achievement over my family and my family was suffering, but I was doing the right thing. And I had a mindset that I had the, this world's view where I was just callous to the fact that my children missed me. I was callous to the fact that my church, I wasn't involved or engaged in my community. I wasn't discipling anyone. I was callous to the fact that I wasn't spending alone time with God because I had justified this mindset that said achievement, accomplishment, money, status, title, career. That's what makes me a good person, father, husband, Christian leader. My mind was callous to the sensitivities that an awakened heart has when you're awakened in Christ because we think and we live different. So they're darkened in their standing. Verse 19, they become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. How does, it get, how does a person get to that where they're so calloused? where immorality seems okay, things that you would objectively and publicly profess are evil privately, we say that they're okay and we explain them away. How do you get to that level of numbness? It's callousness. It's calluses that have been built up over time by living in a mindset that says that's acceptable. Verse 20 says, but that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming, I like this caveat, assuming that you have heard of him and were taught in him and the truth is in, as the truth is in Jesus, like, I like the caveat because I find, I, I, I don't make that assumption a lot, I just assume, assuming that because you've been to church your whole life and you have really good attendance that you understand the gospel, you can make that mistake with people. Uh, at a, a mentor of mine said, uh, the vast majority of his mistakes in ministry were overestimating someone's spiritual maturity. And so I see why he has that here in saying, okay, uh, assuming that you understand who Jesus is, that is not the way you learn Christ. That's not, you know, so I use the word learned. That's not the way you think about Jesus and who you are. You were taught a way to think about Jesus. And one of the things that's very helpful for me in counseling, and I sell this to all my, all my staff, that uh, when, you're, when you're listening to someone and they're talking about something, find ways that the answer is Jesus, because it is. And I don't, I don't mean that to be trivial. Like there, because one, that's really the only lane we're qualified to be in. I shouldn't be talking about clinical psychology with people, but their answer is Jesus. And I find really helpful to ask someone, tell me about the first time you said yes to Jesus. What were you saying yes to? And the clarity that that can bring. The first time you said yes to Jesus, it was because, what? For some of you, it's because you, you were told that you, you, had, you were get offered a mindset, a way to think about yourself that says you are not the result of your failures. That there is more life for you. 
Maybe you've been rejected your, life, your whole life in certain ways and you were offered a mindset that says, I am acceptable by God. I am loved. Maybe you have sin in your past and you said, I'm not worthy. And maybe you said yes because he says, you are forgiven and free. I hold nothing against you. What, what angle of the gospel did you first say yes to? Go back to that. Is that what you were taught? Is that your mindset today? Because it's the deceitful schemes that get us thinking back into the world's mindset. And we forget. We forget. And so Paul is reminding us. Now, what truth is he talking about when he says, is this the truth in Jesus? There's three things he maps out in 22, 23, and 24. These are three practical steps. One, in verse 22, he says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He says, if you remember earlier in the chapter, he says, no longer live as the Gentiles do. Ironically, because two chapters or one chapter and two chapters before he refers to them as Gentiles, right? But he says, no longer live as the Gentiles do. Gentile is a word that means those who aren't God's chosen people, right? So he's saying, you have been transformed. Don't live like you used to. Your primary identity is not Gentile. You're a new creation, right? And so he's saying, put off your old self, which belongs to your former way of life, and it's corrupt through its deceitful desires. Because we all have deceitful desires. We all have desires, right? And left to the world, they become deceitful. What, if, what does he mean deceitful? These desires that we give into lie to us and tell us that it is in these things I will achieve the things I'm looking for. These things will make me satisfied. These things will make me happy. If I only have that career, that job, if I only have that spouse, that life, those children, that house, that car. If I only have those things, it will give me the things I'm longing for. And those are the deceitful desires when the things you're pursuing pretend to be the God that gives you that satisfaction. That's the deceit. When the truth is the thing you're looking for is identity, purpose, meaning, belonging. Those are the things we're looking for. Those are found by putting on the new self, right? But before we get there in verse 23, he says, so the first one is put off your old self. 23 is, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Change the way you think. Accept a new way of thinking and believing. And then in verse 24, he says, and put on the new self. This, what is this new self? It was created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This new self is, you could insert the word purpose here. You had an old purpose and an old way of thinking to accomplish that purpose. Now you have a new purpose and a new way of thinking to accomplish that purpose. So we have a new self. You notice how he doesn't say, take off your old self and say the sinner's prayer. See, Paul has something way more complicated in mind than one act at one event where emotions were high. He's saying, be transformed by the renewing. That word renewing means this perpetual process of continually renewing. This isn't a one and done. None of you have arrived. No one is righteous. No, not one. 
We are all in process. And this mindset that he's inviting us to celebrates that by having the priority. Then he maps out what is the priority for you to have in your new mind as you're living among each other. Right? What is the, now let's look where he says, where he goes with this. It's pretty awesome. Spoiler. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, right? He's, he's saying, okay, now you've read those three things, the very next verse. So now that you've done that, like, <laughs> okay, well, we're in process with that, right? But therefore, having put away falsehood, the old false self, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So the false you, the implication here, would lie to your neighbor. What does that mean? You are one, you're one body. You would present something other than who you are to your neighbor. You would lie. In a, in a, it happens all the time in, in religious groups. Someone acts more pious than they actually are. Someone pretends to have an office or understanding or authority among a group that they don't have. Someone may pretend to be something or someone may just be, have a hard time being honest about who they are because that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about lying to someone about the baseball score or something. We're talking about in relationship with one another, let's put away the falsehood, let's put away the, uh, the lies, and let's speak truth. Let's just, in a way, he's just saying, just be real. Be real. Because he already laid the foundation where he's calling everyone else to bear with one another and be patient and gracious and kind and accepting of other people and just so they can have a safe place to be real. Just be who you are. You don't have to pretend. And when we pretend, we're dividing. We're not, we're not being true. And if you, a lot of people, I don't know if anyone here, but a lot of people go to church a lot and they feel like I just am not connecting with God in church. But maybe it's because the real you never goes to church. Maybe the real you is still sitting at home with an old mindset, not with a new mind, or sitting in the car angry, but you put on the face of this fake you, and you wonder, and you're like, oh, I'm not connecting with anyone. Well, the real you wasn't even there. The fake you probably feels really connected, right? But if we can just be honest and truthful with who we are and where we're at, I tell you, as a staff, we know we're all messed up. So th there's no secrets. Uh, well, specifically, there's confidentiality, which is good, which is good and wise and discerning. But we're not surprised when you confess. <laughs> I'll put it that way. So then, so the false you, the new you is honest and it's real and it's authentic. Now, why? What's the transformation that we're being invited to? What's the new way of thinking? The new way of thinking is that we are one in Christ. We are one, we are together, and it's pretty dumb to lie to yourself. If we are one and you you're here, now you're not here just to, just to be present, right? We're all here because this church has a purpose. And he just laid out how every one of us has a role in this purpose. Everyone, no one is left out. Everyone has a role. We're all members of the same body, right? And if I lie about who I am or pretend to be something I'm not, it's kind of like if my hand just said, okay, I'm going to eat all the meals from now on. Like, you can't do that. You're not, you're not the mouth. And I like eating meals. 
No, you know, but you just, it's how silly that is. But if you just present who you are, how has God made you? And then if you look back in Ephesians 4, he says, God has given you leaders in the church to help you, do, help you figure that out. Because we're all in process. We all don't have this figured out. But we as a body come together and we build each other up in love. So we, just being ourselves, being a place where it's okay just to be yourself. That means you've got to take all your presuppositions of judgment and condemnation and literally flush it down the toilet because that's where it belongs, right? Take those presuppositions of these types of people are in and these types of people are out and people who do this are in and people who do that. That doesn't exist in God's house. It's not welcome here. I say this, I know it's hypocritical in a way, but, or a catch-22 maybe, it's like the only people that don't belong are the people that say that someone doesn't belong. I think, right? But everyone has a place. The renewing of our minds, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be in a different space and place and it's okay to disagree and it's okay to have a different take on a certain text and it's okay. We can't let that divide us. That's, that's the thinking of the world. That's the false self-thinking that says everyone has to agree with me in order to be accepted. What else does he tell us? Our old self versus our new self. In verse 26, he starts, be angry and do not sin. Do not let sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So what does the false you do in that text? 26, 27, the false you gets angry and sins. That's what the false you does. What does the true you do? gets angry and doesn't sin. Anger is one of the most powerful emotions to affect change. Anger has started anti-sex trafficking movements, adoption agencies, hospitals. Injustice in the world should make us angry. If any people group is oppressed for any reason, it should make us angry. What do we do with that anger? Well, if we have a new mindset that says, I am here to bring the love and truth to the world. I am here to, to affect the people around me and be an agent of goodness and kindness. Let that anger fuel you to do something. But if you have the mindset of the world revolves around me and I make the decisions, I decide. You're, first, you're getting angry at the wrong things because your mindset is wrong. And then when you do get angry, you're going to lash out with bitterness and words and, and anger and malice. So the new mind takes anger, something as powerful in anger, and harnesses it for righteousness. Verse 28, let, no thief, or let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So what is the false you? You take, and you're a burden to people. That's the false you. Because your mindset would be, I'm hurting, I'm in need, I, can't, I don't have anything to give, I don't have a place. No one's going to appreciate me. That's your mindset. So you go somewhere, you show up, and you take. And you take, and you take, and you take. The new you, with a new mindset, says, I have a place. I belong. I'm accepted. I am made in God's image. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do anything so I have something to contribute, something to bring. And there, I love this, because in that way, the dignity is restored. 
Dignity is restored to the person that takes and takes and takes when they start to give and give and give. And the mark and the mindset of a new mind, the way that Jesus transforms us to think, is that I am here to be a part of this God's church. I am here to be God's people, to bring light to the dark world around me. That's why I am here. The renewing of my mind has me go and do something to bring something to contribute instead of just take, take, take. Now, verse 29, 30, and 31, I've made an assumption in my sermon prep today that he's, these three are all talking about um, words and the words we say, the words that come out of our mouth. Verse 30 doesn't specifically say that, but because 29 and 31 do, I'm going to read that into it, okay? No longer, or no, let no corrupting talk, that word in the Greek, corrupting, is sapros, and it means, uh, uh, your version may say unwholesome or unholy or unrighteous. What that sapros means is no longer useful. Right? It's not ta- talking about some measure and drawing a line of what's crass and what's not, even though that could fit into this category. He's, he's really just saying, no longer let talk that is unuseful come out of your mouth. It's, it's, it's old talk. What type of old talk could he be talking about? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So, the, the corrupting talk, the useless talk, the, the words that no longer fit, the, another, another definition said worn out, right? Those words are things that aren't good for building up and don't fit the occasion and don't give grace. And if you listen, it's interesting to see there, it says it may give grace to those who hear. It's not the ones you're gossiping about or slandering or condemning. It's to those you're talking to. It's extending grace to them to protect what comes out of your mouth. Now, let's continue in that thought. Because what this mindset does in just this section, it restores dignity to you, to the person you're talking about and the person hearing. There's a restoration of dignity that this new mindset continues to offer. And it brings peace. Verse 30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom, that who, or by whom you, that word you is plural, you were sealed, which means bound together or made one body, right? You were sealed and um, made one for the day of redemption. So the idea of grieving the Holy Spirit is sandwiched in between the way we talk. And this is the way I, I'm seeing this, is the Holy Spirit exists to be our advocate. The Holy Spirit is in us to advocate for us and to be our, the one who reminds us of this new way of thinking that sets us free in the gospel. The one that says when we get down on ourselves, we get this reminder that says, you're forgiven, you're free, you're okay. God is good, God is in control. When we're facing oppression and fear, Holy Spirit's the, the Holy Spirit's the one that reminds us that God is good and he's with us and he's for us. Right. And so when we use our coarse talk, our useless corrupting talk, our worn out ways of, of, of uh, tearing people down in the old self, right? When we would look at someone and say, 
they are and then you name their sin. Or they are not good enough because they don't drive A. Or I don't want to be their friends because they don't have or they don't make or they don't look like. Or I'm not going to accept them because they think this about that or they voted this way or they live this way. That is destructive, corrupting talk that has no place in the new mindset. Anything where you're labeling someone with a condemning word is grieving the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit exists to say you're set free. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we stand with words of condemnation, we are on the opposite side of the battlefield from Christ Jesus. Ah, I don't want to be there. I've read the book. I know how this ends. Like, I want to stand with Jesus that says forgiven and free. And I'll tell you what, there's texts in the Bible that can be confusing, and I don't care what the issue is. I 100% understand the heart. What I understand about the heart of God would 100% rather be standing with Jesus going, oh, I'm... I chose grace in that area and I maybe have chosen truth and I'm, I need your mercy, God, because I lean too far to grace. Then being standing there with Jesus over here saying forgiven and I said, well, I chose condemnation and oh no. Like if I'm going to err, because I don't have all the answers, I'm going to err on the side of grace all day. Trusting God with the rest. So we build each other up that way. Verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. This goes back to 29. These are the corrupting words that no longer fit. They're not useful anymore. The way you used to categorize people is useless. It doesn't have a place. Verse 32, he kind of wraps it up with 32 uh, and then through five, chapter 5, verse 2. We're going to read that together. Where he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as, Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I love that to think about the fragrant offering and sacrifice because David in his Psalms, you know, he talks about the worship being a fragrant sacrifice or an offering being a fragrant sacrifice to God, a gift to, to God being a fragrant sacrifice. The idea that to God, Jesus Christ himself was a fragrant sacrifice. It was pleasing to God and his purposes. I want to ask you this and we'll have the band come back up as we close in worship or we transition to our uh, response time, I should say. Do you see yourself in transition? This is a question. Do you see yourself in transition? Paul gave some examples of when you are living as God's church together and you're trying to live out this new mind, this new way of thinking. He gave some examples where he's contrasting the way the deceitful schemes of the past and the false self and the world can sneak in. And then he tells us, but you are different, right? Are you, do you see yourself in that state of having your mind renewed 
Are you thinking new? Are you asking God to give you his heart towards an issue that is confusing or frustrating to you? Is there someone in your life that you're angry with and bitter and you're holding on to forgiveness as if it's a treasure? You know, Lord of the Rings, forgiveness metaphor is the ring. Like you hold on to it without giving it, it destroys you. Do you see yourself growing? Different ways of thinking. Are you feeling challenged to grow? Because what's going to happen is your old way of categorizing and and condemning and judging is going to try to pull you back. But I want to invite you to put away the false self, put on the mind of Christ, and put on the new self. The mind of Christ, like His will, His holy will, His spirit has already declared His judgment. And He says, you're forgiven. And then with his resurrection, he says, you are set free. Free to do what? Free to live in this new mindset. Free to live for eternity in this new way of thinking. The question is, how do we live in this renewed mindset? And the only answer I have that's succinct is together. And I think the rest we just treat with love as it comes to us, with kindness, with compassion, with understanding, with grace. Let's pray and let's worship God. I thank you so much for today and I pray that as we reflect on our true self and our false self and why and where our minds need to be renewed, that you would show something to each one of us, God. You would reveal to us where we are. Either it's just a a foundational peace that gives us encouragement that despite opposition from the world and 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 the wrong way of thinking that we are in the right way of thinking. God, that you would show us and reveal to us where we're calloused, where maybe we have compromised too many times and we've lost the sensitivity. I pray that you would just scrape away those calluses so we can be sensitive to um, living in this new life. Because, God, we are your body. We exist for your purpose. And I pray that your spirit would lead out in a spirit of kindness, compassion, forgiveness, and understanding that marks your spirit and how you are towards us. Help us to take stock right now, discern the renewing of our minds. In Jesus' name.